everybody. Hello, everyone. I'm Neil, and I'm very excited about our guest today, who's someone um, that I have a shared history with in the modeling business, uh, who is way more than that, as you're going to learn, and a lot of you already know, Elena Davis. Welcome. Thank you. Hello. So, hi. It's so good to see you. Thank you. Thanks great. for having me. I'm delighted you're here. You've, I've wanted you to be on here and share all the important things that you're involved in for a long time. So do you want to get the modeling thing out of the way first? Yeah, you want to kick it off? Sure. <laughs> so we both had many years at the Ford Model Agency in New York City. You obviously were a model and I was not, but you had a great run. You did super, super well. I did. You were a star. You still are a star. Oh, thank you. I'm, I, I did. I was very fortunate. Um, New York was, you know, coming from the background that I came from and, uh, you know, dropping out in the eighth grade, there mm -hmm. wasn't going to be a whole lot of <laughs> career <laughs> options for me. So, of course, modeling um, ended up being really lucrative yeah. and um, life changing. I mean, it really changed the trajectory of my life up until this point. And I was only 16 when I, you know, kind of stepped into that business. So it's a young age, but. I don't think it's okay for girls to get involved any earlier than that. Yeah. It's I, a very adult business. It is. And I, you know, I think, again, kind of kind of coming from the streets, it still doesn't prepare you for moving to Paris from Hollywood. <laughs> I don't care how much time you spent on the streets <laughs> or Indian reservations. I mean, Paris and the modeling industry. But I, I had some really great um, street sense. And... I have to tell you, uh, you know, there's all this stuff, all these stories I hear about now, but I mm -hmm. just had such a great experience. I mean, I never Good had problems. I made great money. I loved the industry. I love the people that I worked with. And I have made lifelong friends. I mean, yes. I'm still connected, you know. Yes, you are. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and you're, something that we're going to talk about a lot is your I Am Waters Foundation, which... Um, you involve all your supermodel friends in, and they come. How many years have you hosted that luncheon? We the we started it. It was six years ago. The first one was okay. six years ago. Wow! And um, you know, home home the homeless are a very difficult group of people to draw attention to. Yes. I mean, when I started, I am Waters Foundation. Eight years ago, I mean, homelessness wasn't trending at all. I mm -hmm. mean, so if you, you know, Google anything eight years back, you're not going to see trending articles in the way that we have them now. I mean, it's a crisis like everywhere. So in some ways, because it's so in everybody's face, mm -hmm. because we can with our eyeballs see that it's a crisis. I mean, you don't have to read an article. You can just walk out your front door. Um but still, it's something that's very hard to look at. I think it scares people. Nobody mm -hmm. ever wants to end up homeless. I think there's something in us that always wonders, you know, if I lose my job or my wife passes or my husband passes mm -hmm. or when I get old, you know, any one of us could become homeless. And um, by and large, people don't want to look at it. So no, the models don't, help. Don't you think we see them more than we used to see them? I think... Um, just as you go through life, I mean, we both lived in New York City. Homelessness is a part of your everyday existence. And at a certain point, I think you don't see them anymore. 
Right. I mean, I think that's why they are, you know, they're called and considered invisible. Invisible, But yes. I think the way in which it's changed from when you and I were in New mm-hmm. York and lived, you know, New York, Paris, or any of the major cities that we lived in, was it was more of the adult male, you know, chronic homeless or mentally ill or drug addicted. And now the majority of our homeless are, you know, and it's it's the invisible majority, but it's families, it's it's women and children, it's whole families, and it's really a growing crisis of poverty. So mm-hmm. it's not the stereotypical homeless individual, um, and that's what's so troubling about it now. Are we used to seeing that? Are we registering when we are stopped at a stoplight and we see homeless people that aren't men? I mean, I see them because I'm very well. You know, I'm I'm. You're connected to the streets. I mean, yeah. you're noticing things around you. When yes, you're out. and I, yeah. I just wonder how many other people don't. Um, but I do think homelessness has become visible as opposed to invisible. And in Houston, I think people are getting more tuned into it. Maybe is it? Am I even expressing this? Yeah, properly? no. I mean, I think people are, but you know, it's not relegated to just you know. Houston's skid row. I know we don't have a skid row here like we do in Los Angeles, but it's not just downtown. It's not just a couple blocks downtown. It's not just at the Greyhound bus station. It's everywhere. So yeah, you're noticing it because it's in Highland Village Mm -hmm. and it's down at the Herman Park and it's in the medical district and it's at the museum district. Um, And if you don't live in the city and you have to drive to get home, you're going to pass many, many homeless people under bridges and everywhere else just to get out of the city or to get into the city so um the it's changed the movements have changed from the homeless because they're not the same kind Mm -hmm. of hobo or bum you know that stereotypical homeless individual um as it used to be well i think it would be really generous of you if you would share your personal experience this will tie it in and people will understand why you put all your effort and your resources into issues regarding homeless people. Okay, yeah, sure. This so, is heavy duty, folks. <laughs> yeah, I try not to make it too big of a downer, but I mean, the happy part is is that I'm here and I'm doing what I'm doing. But That's right. You know, I I think I'm the you know prototype for what's happening today with the growing population of homeless. My mother was raised in an orphanage home in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, She was one of four kids. She got out when she was 18 years old and um, had a lot of just post-traumatic stress disorder, reactive attachment disorder, um, abandonment issues. Mm -hmm. She was four years old when she was dropped off. Her baby brother was nine months old, and they were other ages in between the four. Wow. And she had four children really young that Mm -hmm. she couldn't afford. I was one of the four. And we just led a very, you know, she had a level of mental illness because of her childhood. And we led a really transient upbringing. We moved every six months to a year. Um, By the time I got uh, into the eighth grade, we ended up in Hollywood, California. And I'd been to 12 different schools in 12 different cities. Oh, my God. And, um... which included the Morongo Indian Reservation, which we happened to pass a couple weekends ago because I was with my husband and kids in Palm Springs area. It's in Banning, California. Mm -hmm. And really just kind of every ghetto from 
Washington, D.C. to Oakland, everywhere. Oh, my God. So uh, it, it was in Los Angeles. I got a job at a, a pizza place called The Cultured Cow, which my <laughs> brother happened to. I just wanted the job because we could eat whatever we wanted for free on awesome. our shift, mm-hmm. which food was an issue for us. Right. Um, this was pre-food banks and a lot of the great organizations that exist now. Right. And it, there was a fellow that com- kept coming in and out. I was 14. I had dropped out of the eighth grade. I worked the uh, 3 to 11 p.m. shift with my brother. The Cultured Cow was below the Schubert Theater in Century City. Right. There was okay. an Andrew Lloyd Webber play going on. Mm-hmm. Les Miserables. Mm-hmm. I don't know. One of them. The agent, who was the agent to some of the actors in the show, would come in down it, the post-theater crowd, right? Right, 9.45, sure. 10 o'clock, pizza, beer. And it was that fellow who kept coming in a couple of times a week saying, you know, you should model, you mm-hmm. should model. It was through him that I met Eileen Ford, him and a couple of introductions, that I met, met Eileen Ford. She was staying at the Bel Air Hotel. Right. <laughs> and bungalow. It was the same one she apparently stayed in every time. Right. And um, when I went and met with her, I was 14, going on 15. And there had to have been 200 girls wow. <laughs> at the Bel Air. And the Bel Air is not a big hotel. So, no. I mean, there was just <laughs> this massive. And I thought, well, it's Eileen Ford. And I had a friend take me in their rickety old car because they were poor too. <laughs> and um, I thought, well, I guess you know, I hope I, I hope she likes me because like I'll get to go to New York. Right. But she was like, you know, will your parents <laughs> let you go to Paris? <laughs> and I was like, Paris is that near New York? <laughs> <laughs> so cute. So that was life changing. Yeah. A, a, a year from that point, I ended up. Um, going on to Paris and lived in Paris for a year and did very well. I, I was um, Christine Bolster's doppelganger. Okay. And so <laughs> she was booked so much. I was very lucky because I think I did as well as I did in Paris because I kept getting Christine Bolster's jobs that she couldn't do. <laughs> it worked out great for me. Right, exactly. So, and then ultimately ended up in New York. Well, you know, I, by the time I was 18, I'd moved to New York. And then I was really starting to make, you know, a lot of money and doing well with advertising and Jill Cohen Perlman. Love Hi, Jill. <laughs> we love you still. Yeah, woohoo, iconic focus. That's right. Um, she was my booker and mm-hmm. she was just starting out and she okay. was sat next to Marion on the high board. Uh-huh. And Jill really made my career. I mean, she was just great. And she was probably 24 at the time, 23. I was 18, so she was like a big sister to sure. me. And, you know, and kind of, do you want me to keep going? Yes, absolutely. Okay. This is really interesting. So, you know, I have this, from, the, from start to finish, I ended up modeling for 15 years and mm-hmm. did, you know, a ton of national commercials, made great money. Bought a home when I was about 21 years old at the beach in the L.A. area to get my family stabilized. Awesome. Started supporting my family, trying to help my mom. Right. And um, I started making a lot of friends in the industry. And one of them was Lily Zanuck, who was married to Richard Zanuck at the time. And wow. they were major producers in Hollywood. Big time. Yeah. And Lily had called me. So at this point now... All I'm doing is working, and I'm about 20, I turned 23, I was about 23 years old, 
Lily's one of my good friends, and Lily calls me one night and says, you know, my friend Barbara Davis is having a dinner party for the Duchess of York, Barbara and Marvin Davis, and I want to fix you up on a blind date with their son. And I was like, who's the Duchess of York? And I don't know who the Davises are, and... <laughs> I really don't want to go to a dinner party because I don't sound like a place that I belong. Long story short, I ended up going. And um, I was introduced to my husband that night. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we've, we're going on 24 years of marriage Fantastic. in June. And um, kids. And, you know, so my life went very far from poverty and transience. Mm-hmm. I made a lot of money modeling. I did right. very well. Stayed out of trouble. Um, on the contrary, had like the best experience ever modeling. If I could go back and do one thing in my life again, it would be that because I think it's a fabulous industry. It um, is. And then married into, you know, this family that was very prominent and affluent and powerful. Yep. And so it just kind of every step that I took kept moving me further and further away from where I had come from. Right. You know, $3,000 a year in food stamps. Gosh. So, um, it was in 19, oh, it was in 2009, I'm sorry. You know, Greg and I get married, we've got kids. Um, we moved from Los Angeles to Houston in uh, 1997. I'm home raising kids and enjoying living in Houston. Mm-hmm. Good. And yeah, I love Texas, love it. <laughs> I'm always happy to get off the plane and come back home from wherever else I travel to. Right on. And, um, <sighs> That, you know, and then in 2009, I was on my way to pick up uh, one of my kids from school one day, and there was a homeless woman going from car to car, and I thought she was asking for money, and she got to my car window, and I had gotten money ready for her. It was actually right at the 610 in the Derrick Hotel, except it wasn't the Derrick Hotel then. Right. Okay. And... Uh, she comes to my window. I roll my window down. I hand her money, and she declines the money. She said, I, I don't want your money. She said, I need water. Do you have any water? And I had just filled a 32-ounce container of water before I left my house, and I hadn't sipped out of it, so I gave it to her. And the light turned green, and you know the traffic starts driving on its way. I'm one of the cars. And you know, I say this, and it's hard to express, but it was just what happened was, I, as I pulled away from the intersection, I literally just felt like a hand reach into my solar plexus and grab onto me. I mean, it's the only way that I can explain it. And Amazing. And that's it. And it has just been this giant unrolling epiphany thing. I am waters. You know, it hit me the next day. I told my husband, the woman in the intersection, the homeless woman, the water. And I said, and I've got this pressure in my solar plexus. Like there's a hand squeezing on me and it's like, I almost couldn't breathe, but I don't know. He's like, well, don't, you know, don't worry about it. It was the next day I had gone back through the intersection, picking up my son and she wasn't there. And I ended up going to the books, a bookstore that was there at the time. And um, I was looking for a book and long story short, uh, it was just out lunch with my son that it hit me like a thunderbolt that I was to deliver water to the homeless and put these words on the bottle, love, hope, peace, dream. And, um, and that's what 
we've been doing. We, I created I Am Waters, and we're headquartered here in Houston. Mm-hmm. Um, we have delivered 4.5 million bottles of water and our pet bottles, so they're made out of recycled content. Mm-hmm. We're the only organization in the United States providing this need. We are the first line of defense against heat-related injuries and death over the hottest months of the summer. My God, it's hot here. Yes. And, um, and you know, water fountains have disappeared disappeared totally so water fountains and telephones you know they've been monetized so you can't find a telephone booth and you can't (laughs) they want you to buy that now so right um we deliver through shelters and um you know on and on and we're you know i'm like talking a lot no but it's i'm hanging on every word okay good what you're doing (laughs) because what you're doing is so important but i wanted people to really go deep to understand your connection to this you know and yes you live this incredible life and you're part of a legendary iconic family and and um that's awesome but you have never ever changed you are still the kind warm sensitive connected to the earth person you've always been yes it's huge i mean the modeling business alone can change who you are and then being a part of such a family as the davis family can definitely change who you are you've never changed well thank you i think i feel like a visitor everywhere i feel like i'm so happy to be here i don't really belong here and i'm appreciative for the time that i get to stay i don't know so but thank you that's a very humble and sweet thing and you know i can't imagine what houston would be without the things that you've done directly for the homeless and this water this water program i am waters it's it's huge it's absolutely how many tell me again how many millions of bottles of water uh 4.5 good god i mean that you yeah. are you are doing god's work well i think you're an so. angel on this planet <laughs> you are well, i don't know about that but i do I, i'm i'm happy to be of service and the great thing about i am waters is we are now evolving into i am jobs Um, Many people are homeless because they're jobless, and it's the biggest hole in the continuum of care, our jobs. Right. So we are kicking that off here um, in Houston, and it's going to be a very important aspect of helping the homeless become sustainable again. When we come back, let's talk about IM Jobs and, and how all of this fits together. Okay. We'll be right back. Stay with us. 